And thank you, Ian. Thank you for loaning uh, guys like Ian and Sam uh, to the to the wider family and how they serve us and how they serve us together. It's it's we really need these guys, and we're grateful that you guys share them so graciously. Um, well, so the the first two talks I, we talked about uh, redefining rest and. And, and redefining freedom. What does it mean to be freed? Freed today. I want to talk about tonight. I should say, redefining uh, purpose. Uh, I mentioned my wife Rachel earlier. We'll be married 22 years in November. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, she uh, she's done well. She's done well. She's hanging in there. Um, I would say outside of divine intervention, though, I'm not sure we ever would have met. Um, because from a distance, we're, we're not each other's type. Um, she's from the creative, artistic world of beauty and feelings. Uh, I'm from the efficient, driven world of productivity and ideas. She's about being present and fostering connection. I'm about the future and fostering action. Uh, she likes to decorate and have furniture. Uh, when we met, I owned a TV and a few milk crates. Um, she's into design. I like sports. She's into variety. I'm into sameness. And, uh, and this is not an exaggeration. Um, when we first met, she probably had more diet. She, excuse me, she had more variety in her diet in a, in a week than I had in my entire life. Uh, I just ate the same food over and over again. doesn't bother me at all. So from a distance, I'm not sure we ever um, would have happened because from a distance, we're not each other's type. So what changed? What bridged the gap? How did this all work out? Well, quite simply, I met her. Um, I encountered her. Uh, now I eat quinoa, or some people say uh, quinoa. And so uh, now I have a, a line item in my budget called furniture. And I, I watch design shows and baking shows. Like even when the game is on, I, I'm still watching these things. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment. Maybe you've had this as a parent watching cartoons or something. You always have that moment, don't you, when you're watching something. And the only reason why you watch it is because you watch it with someone else. And you don't want to actually let people know that you like it. Uh, but you watch it because you hope that they watch it so you can watch it with them. But if you have that moment where like... You're all by yourself, and you're watching it. Um, I had that moment, and now I'm in season eight. And so anyway, we're... But the point is, some encounters are so powerful, they can be life-changing. And this is particularly true if that encounter happens to be with the living God. And this may help some of your people. I know you know this, because I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time. You know, I'm not just a Christian type. And, you know, there's, there's a type of person, you know, they grow up and they're just, they're born to, to you know, to like want to follow the rules or whatever that means. And so you, it's a Christian type, you know, there are some who are the type and there's some who are not the type. And I think this would encourage a lot of your people. There's no one who's God's type. No one, I mean, Romans 3, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So from a distance... No one looks at God and says, oh, he is my type. Well, how is this happening? Why are there like two billion people on the planted, planet? Excuse me, I don't know why they put so many T's in there. Um, why there's so many people on the worshiping God? How does this happen? Well, quite 
Simply, they encountered him. And I want to talk to you about uh, the encounter that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah. If you uh, have your Bible with you, Isaiah 6, verses, verse 1. Isaiah 6. This is a wildly popular passage. I'm sure you have it memorized. Here it is, Isaiah 6. When in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In an ancient Near East, the length of your, the train of your robe depended upon the size of your kingdom. So if you had like a really big robe, you had a really big kingdom. If you had a smaller robe, you had a smaller kingdom, and you went to council once a week. And so you, but so when it says that you, his train filled. The, the, the temple, what, it, what it's saying there, what the Bible's communicating is that in the presence of God, there is no room for any other authority. He is the main course, and there's no side dishes. I was at a, a steak place in St. Louis called Crease. Um, should have been called Heart Attack. Uh, and um, I had the 32-ounce steak. You know why I had, I had the 32-ounce steak? Because it was the smallest one. It was the queen cut. And um, my friend got the 72-ounce steak. Uh, and, do you, and there wasn't a side dish with, that came with this steak. You want to know why? There was no room on the plate. Um, in God's presence, there's just no room on the plate. When he comes into your life, there's no room for anything yeah. else. Isaiah, and then he goes on verse 2. It says, so this is the scene. You've got, this, you've got this God who has this robe, or excuse me, this train that fills the room. His presence fills the space. When you meet this God, this is what happens. And then above him stood the seraphim. Now, seraphim were, were angels. Seraph means burning one. I am just makes it the plural form. So this group of burning beings, we call them angels, which is a totally different picture when you and I think of angels. We think of a naked baby with wings and a harp. Like, that's what an angel is. But that's not the kind of angels we see here. And to be honest with you, that's not the kind of angels in the Bible. In fact, here's, a little, here's some Bible trivia. Do you know what the most two, we know what the most, uh, the two most common phrases in the Bible spoken by angels Fear not. What's the second one? Get up. Right? Because when you because when you see an angel, you're afraid and you fall to the ground. Angels are scary. And this is the scene here that we got. We got a, we got a God who's trained, whose authority fills the, the room. And you have these burning beings with six wings. And they're calling to one another. If you have a Bible, underline this phrase. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Evan, we sing a song of something like that, don't we? I think somewhere. It sounds familiar. I, I would sing it for you. Um, but it, you, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that. In Spanish or English or any language, to be honest with you. Verse 4 and 5. And then the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. The, the, the translation there is really cursed. Curse me. Curse me. 
For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim, these burning beings, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, presumably at the um, request of God. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away, and your sin is atoned for, or paid for, as we know. Verse 8, and here's, here's, the, here's the verse that we're going to um, spend our time on. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. What a prayer. Here I am, send me. You and I, we approach God's presence wanting Him to be available to us. But here's what happens when we get into God's presence. We want to be available to Him. We come to God with our prayers and we want Him to do something. We want Him. We want help. We want healing. We, 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 need, we need Him. And, and it's a good thing that we call out to Him. Right? Like, He is our ever-present help in time of need. He is our burden bearer. He is the one... Uh, he, he takes our anxieties. We, we need to, uh, to pray those prayers. We need to approach God's presence. But something happens when we encounter Him. We, want, we go to Him because we want Him to be available to, to us. But when we encounter God, we want to be available to Him. And you think about the prayers that we pray. Here's a prayer. Here I am, Lord. Send me. What does it mean to be converted? What does it mean to encounter God? What does it mean? Well, to be converted means to have an entire life change. And one of the things that God wants to do uh, in us and in our churches is that he wants to convert our agenda. He wants to convert our agenda. He wants to give us a new purpose. He wants to give us a new plan. Whatever that plan was, he wants to absolutely change it. For me, the, the language for me is that he, I, I was... I was working my plan. I was, I, was, I was wanting to go for money. I was wanting to go for popularity. I was wanting to go for things. That was my plan. And God said to me, open your mouth wide. And I'll those things that you want out of that, I want to convert that and I want to change it to this. I said yes. And this is what he does over and over and over again. And every time we encounter God's presence, we have this passion for mission. True encounters with God always leads for... I mean, it's, it's no wonder. I mean, like the most prophetic man amongst us is like one of the guys is like, I want to go. I want to be on mission for him. And that's what he does. And he, what he wants to do is he wants to convert our hearts. And he wants to convert our agenda to his agenda. And here's the big picture of the Bible. The big picture of the Bible is that God is a father and he's looking for a family of all peoples, of all tribes, of all nations. And he is going to get it. That is what he's after. He's a father after a family. He's gathering a people for him Self, And what he wants, so you are part of that family. You are part of that search and rescue mission. You know, Genesis 3, sin, sin, everything spiraling out of control, created separation, scattered us all over the world. You know, billions and billions of people living as though God doesn't exist. He's not content with that. He sent his son to gather us all back Together, He's gathering a family for himself. And those that he gathers to himself, those he brings close to him, we encounter the living God. Isaiah was, Isaiah, the backstory of this is Isaiah was in a low moment. 
and he's going to God maybe to get some help. And he comes out of the saying, I want to help you. I want to help you. I want to go wherever, whenever, however. Here I am. Send me. So his agenda, he's on this search and rescue mission to go find his kids all over the world. And so he wants our posture to be one to, to care what he cares about. But it's been my experience, and I don't know if this is true in your churches, that that's not always the posture Christians have toward the world. That God has a posture toward the world to, to save the world, to love the world, to rescue the world, to reach the world. But in my experience, that, that's not the posture Christians have. There are, there are three postures that I, that I see, and maybe you can uh, relate to this. Uh, one posture is, is they, they think the role of the Christian is to judge the world. So in their mind, Christians are the good guys, and the non-Christian or the secular people are the bad guys, and it's the job of the good guys to beat the bad guys. And so when they look at the world, they're motivated by, by anger at the world, and they are shocked uh, to see non-Christians not acting like Christians. And, it, and it, it puts outrage in them. They don't understand why non-Christians don't want prayer in school. They're outraged uh, that Starbucks didn't put, you know, Merry Christmas on their cup. They're outraged that the Pillsbury Doughboy isn't wearing any pants. They're outraged that Christians, excuse me, that non-Christians are not acting like Christians because their posture is to judge the world. Now, here's what those Christians tend to forget. And I'll use that word loosely, Christian. There's not a good us and a bad them. There's just a sinful we and a gracious he. Religion divides the world into the good guys and the bad guys, and the gospel divides the world into the bad guys and Jesus. Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. And after all, Jesus did not come to beat the bad guys. Jesus came to be beaten for the bad guys. Um, and thank God he did. Um, so one posture is to judge the world a second posture is to avoid the world this group practiced social distancing before social distancing was a thing like you know they did not get six feet uh, within you know or they catch the sinnies you know and so they um, and they're not motivated by anger but motivated by fear fear of uh, fear of being affected by the world. So you have to hunker down, you have to withdraw into Christian subculture, um, you know, schools, music, clothes, you know, whatever. Just, you know, gotta, we got we to gotta separate. Now, I want to commend this group. I don't, ha I don't have any accommodation for those who want to judge the world. But I do want to commend this group because of their desire for holiness. That's a good thing. Uh, part part of what I mean to be holy means to be to be set apart. They understand that that God has called us to be distinct and different, and, and we need to hear that. We need to hear that we are called to be distinct and to be different. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? So, uh, but so we it's I, I appreciate about that. But what they miss is to have the holiness of God. It also means to have the heart of God. And to have the heart of God is to remember that he left the safety of heaven for the vulnerability of earth. God sent 
I, I don't know what you feel comfortable sending your son to. What places that you would imagine you're sending your son who's in the safety of heaven into this mess we call earth as a baby in a back alley in Bethlehem. And when he walked this earth, he had a nickname. Remember that nickname? We sing a song about it. Friend of sin. You almost got me to sing. Yeah, because... The last thing Jesus said to us, too, wasn't to go home, into your home and hide, but to go in the world and share. And aren't you glad that Jesus did not keep his distance from sinners? But he came close. He was amongst. We are salt, but what good is salt if it's not, it just stays on the mantle. It's not like in the culture. And then, so there's, another, so there's a group that wants to judge the world, there's a group that wants to avoid the world. And there's a group that wants to mirror the world. Now, what's interesting about those who want to mirror the world is that they have the same motivation as those who want to avoid it, which is fear. But they're not fear of being affected by the world. They're, they have fear of being rejected by the world. So in their fear, they assimilate their values and mind, mindsets. And again, I want to commend this group for uh, their compassion, their savvy, for being amongst, uh, for understanding culture. I think that's something the church desperately, desperately needs. Uh, but what they have missed in, in their own heart is a migration of hope. And, and they have a lot of hope in what humanity can do to change the world and, and not what God can do through them. And we need to be, I mean, if you think about it, it's like, man, if we can get the, the mirrors and the, uh, the avoiders like to mesh as one. And, and I think you, you see this person uh, in Daniel, you know, Daniel, remember Daniel in the lion's den? Well, he did more than hang out with lions. He was, uh, he served, he was um, in the king's court. He was invited into the king's court as, a, as an advisor. And you know this, you know, Babylon, uh, they, 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 um, uh, they brought the, the Israelites into exile, but they took the best of the best. And they wanted to assimilate them into their culture, their food, their custom, their ways. And, and hopefully over time that they would forget about what it means to be Jewish. And they'd be totally just like them. Like that was their plan. That was their goal. And this guy, Daniel, was, must have been bright because he, he survived three regimes. And so if you understand how that works, is that um, so? there's one regime. And then there would be another conquering king that would, that would kill everyone in the king. But they're like, let's keep that guy David. And so then he become the advisor in that regime. And then another guy comes along and kills that guy and says, hey, we should keep that guy, David. And, and he's an advisor to not one, not two, but three different regimes. Can you imagine? Could you imagine how good you would have to be to be an advisor uh, to Obama and to Trump and to Biden? <laughs> You would have to be good. Daniel was good. Daniel was good. He was amongst. He was invited into the king's court, but listen, he would not eat the king's food. He was amongst, but he was distinct. In fact, he trusted. He did not trust um, what he his wisdom in his own eyes, but he trusted the ways of God. In fact, he, he kind of put it there. He's like, I will, I will not eat your diet. I will eat my diet, and, and, which was just vegetables. 
and I will be in better shape than, than all you know, the men and, and women who eat your diet, and he was. And I think that's true for us. Sometimes it's like, you know, the way that we handle finances is different. The way that we treat sexuality is different. All these things are different. And we can be so tempted. We're like, oh, the, you know, the, what the world has to say about certain things seems wise. It seems like the right thing to do. And it could seem really easy to capitulate with that. And while we absolutely need to be amongst, while we absolutely need to lead with care and compassion, we must trust in what God says. We must trust to be distinct, to be effective in what he's called us to be. Again, in his presence, there's no other room for any other authority. So God's hope, as you can imagine, isn't that we would judge the world, avoid the world, or mirror the world. God is looking for a people who will reach the world, who don't assimilate into culture, but who don't disregard it, dismiss it, hide from it, reject it, judge it, and this is the posture that we see in Isaiah in our text. When he, he comes in there, when God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for this? He is just not okay with people not knowing him. He's not okay with it at all. And that's when Isaiah encountered God, his posture was that. Here I am, send me. And when we encounter God, here's another Tim Keller quote. When we encounter God, it always leads to mission with God. Always. When we encounter God, it always, I mean, you, Moses encounters God. I want you to go be me. Go be me in Egypt. Uh, that's true of Peter. It's true of the disciples. It's true when, when there's an encounter with God, it always leads to mission. Check this out. Mark 117. Gee, I know you know the answer. But just let's just feel the suspense for a moment. <laughs> Jesus said to him, Follow me, and I will make you become amazing theologians. Follow me and I will make you become really, really good friends. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Because it, this is the heart of God. I mean, it's kind of like, it, so, you, you know, to be, to be a Christian is to want to be like Christ. You know where that comes from. Like, that's... It was a derogatory term. We used to be called the way. You remember that? Well, you don't remember it, but like, remember, I hope not. I hope not anyway. But you know, you read the scriptures, that's what we were called, right? Until Acts 9, we were called the way, which I know it sounds like Kool-Aid and weapons are involved, but it's a little cultish, but we were called the way. But then we were called Christians. It was a derogatory term. They're like, oh man, you guys just want to be like little Christ. Like, you know what? That's exactly what we want to be. We want to be, we want to be like little Christ. Yeah, we'll be Christian. So follow me here. So if, if we are to be like little Christ, then I would imagine, I would imagine that we would want to have the same mission. as Like we would want to, we want to do what he does. If he says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Come with me. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to transform you into. This is what I'm going to convert you into. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men then we would have the same mission statement. In fact, he, he gives us point blank his mission statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Like he's, he's being super clear. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. 
this, this phrase, sent by the Father, Jesus says like roughly like 40 times in the gospel. And so to live as a Christian is to live as a sent one, even in telling the church. You know this about Luke. In the beginning of Acts, it said Luke, you know, he wrote the gospel of Luke. And then he wrote, um, and then he wrote Acts. And he says in the very beginning of Acts one, he says, "In my first book, O Theopolis, O Theopolis, I, I wrote to you all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And now, in the telling of the church, I'm going to tell you what he continues to do and teach." Translation: We carry on the mission of Jesus. What is the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus is to seek and save the lost. That's right. Follow me, he says, and I'll make you fishers of men. Translation, if you're not fishing men, you're not following Jesus. If you're not on mission with Jesus, you are not following Jesus. If you have some other agenda other than to reach people with the gospel, it is not the mission of of Jesus. Now I realize there, there's things going with that, serving the poor, loving communities. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that is his big agenda to go wherever, whenever, whatever. And he he communicates this heart over and over and over and over again. Luke 15, he tells not one, not two, but three parables about his not his his what's his discontent, I couldn't think of the word, his discontent with lost things. So he says, hey, lost sheep, you guys have sheep. If you have, a, if you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them, will you not go find the one lost sheep? Yes, we would. Okay, we're on the same page. I'm going to take it up a notch. You have ten coins. Would you not search around the, if you lost a coin, would you not search the house, yell at your kids, and try to find that lost coin. Yes, you would. Okay, I'm going to take it up another notch. You have two sons and you lose one. What is the condition of your heart? What is your posture? A lot of parents here, a lot of kids. I don't know what happened a few minutes ago. Did somebody get hurt? Did someone got, no one got hurt? It did. It did. That's why I'm asking. And so we, uh, but every, every parent has had that moment where, uh, you, you thought you lost a child. You thought you lost a child. I've had that moment. I've had that moment. I remember being in the... Because when I go to the store, again, I'm all, I'm all like business. I've got a list. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that I can do this, that I can get these groceries in record time. Are you like that too? In record time. I mean, it's not good enough just to do... Get the, I've, got an, I've got something to do here. I'm task oriented. You can pray for me. And uh, so I'm going. I've got my kids. You know, they're younger. You know, I've got Ella. I've got Simon. i got Josie. And we're going up and down the aisles. We're getting a list. And I'm focused on the list. And, and I'm, I'm going. And all of a sudden, I see Simon. And I see Ella. But I see no Josie. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I go look down the aisle. Looking down the aisle. Looking down the aisle. Oh, my gosh. Where is Josie? This is bad. This is bad. Okay. If I don't come home with all the groceries... That's probably okay. If I don't come with Josie, that's not okay. And, um, and then I'm going. And then, I, you know, you go outside and you see a security guard. There's a security guard. I go to the security guard. Whose job? What's the a, what's a security guard's job? To keep things secure. So he'll want to help, right? That's what he's supposed to do. Hey, have you seen my daughter? Doesn't even look at me. Have you seen my daughter? You know, No, I haven't seen her. 
Okay. And I'm walking around, I'm walking around, and, and I don't know if it was Simon or Ella. I'm going to say it's Ella because Simon's here. Let's say he grabs on my leg, grabs on my leg. Hey, hey, are we still having chocolate tonight? Um, you know what? That is a really good question. If your, daughter, or if your sister was not lost right now. And so we're going on and going on and going on. And, okay, I, f- I eventually find her. And, you know, she's hidden off somewhere, and everything's fine. But here's what happens in that moment. And if you're a parent, you realize this. People who, who know you and love you and have your heart and understand what you're doing, they're helping you find your daughter. They're not the security guard who's acting uninterested, although it is their job to do it. They're not yanking on your hey could you could you tell me about you know what's what's the worship style like at your church you know that's a really great question if there weren't like billions of people lost people who have when you have the when as a parent when your child is lost you know some parents you may ju- you know maybe you have friends that would judge you well, it serves your kid right. If they're going to run away, they deserve to be lost. Maybe you have friends that would would avoid that. Hey, you know, I've got my own problems. I can't. If I get, if I if I if I go and help you, then I'm going to become part of the problem too. Or, or maybe you have friends that would want to to mirror your lost child. Hey, who am I to say? Who, I mean, who's lost? I mean, maybe that's what what's best for them. <laughs> People who have your heart do not judge your child. They do not avoid your child. They do not mirror your child's behavior. They seek to reach them as you are seeking to reach them. And we need to lead churches. We need to lead churches that do whatever, whenever, however. 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ suffered once for all that he might bring us back to God. I love what John Calvin says of this verse. He says, God wanted his kids back. That's right. Speaking of the cross, God wanted his kids back. People are very, very valuable to God, and he wants people to be very, very valuable to us. And so here's the key. How do we lead? How do we lead our people? How do we lead ourselves? Let's be honest. How do we lead ourselves into this? Well, we have to have his heart, which means we have to encounter him over and over and over again. So let's go back to the text. There's a, there's a phrase I, 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 I asked you to underline or said, said it was a good idea anyway. And one called the other. These are the, these are the burning angels, the burning beings. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy. Why the reputation? Or repetition, excuse me. Well, in, in the English language, we have like over a million words. And so if we wanted to say something was really big, we can say it's gigantic. We could use the word it's enormous. We can, we can even make up a word. We could say it's ginormous. Like we can even do that. 
We have lots of words at our disposal, but the Hebrew language only has about six or eight thousand words. And so to 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 um, to create emphasis, you would re repeat it twice. And this is true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. Jesus would say, "Truly, truly, I say to you, this is for real, for real. Like this is half." Or for your King James, "Verily, verily," like repeat to add emphasis. But there is only one time in the Bible where a word is repeated three times. And you're looking at it. And it's speaking of the nature and character of God. And it does not say that God is power, power, power. It doesn't even say, although it's true, that God is love, love, love. It says that God is holy, holy, holy. Now, this isn't talking simply about moral purity, as you know. Uh, but what it means is it means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be other. And so what these angels are saying is that God is not like us. God is not like us. God is not like us. What is, what is, how does, what's the best way to describe God? He is not like us. He is really, really not like us. He is big, we are small. He is high, we are low. He is great, we are not. He is good, we are not. He is loving, we are not. And there's a gap between us. Isaiah is clearly aware of this gap, and he prays, woe is me. Actually, curse me. I'm cursed. In light of who God is, curse is coming to me. And if you... You've never really encountered God until you feel that, that weight of who He is. Like this is, this is a guy to take seriously. This is someone to take seriously. His train fills the room. There is no room for any other authority. He recognizes this gap. And he says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Now what's interesting about this is he mentions lips. And the reason why it's interesting is because he's a prophet. He speaks. The thing that he was best at, probably most proud of, is what came out of his mouth. And he says, the best part of me is the worst part of me. And he confesses that. And so Isaiah recognizes Gab, watches. He took a burning coal and, and touched that part of Isaiah's expressed sinfulness. It says, Behold, this has touched your lip. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is paid for. And Isaiah must be thinking, like, paid for? What do you mean paid for? Who paid for this? Isaiah was in this place where he thought judgment was going to come down on him, but it didn't because centuries later, judgment would come down on Jesus. And that's what he experienced. Uh, uh, he took the blood of his son and he took, he touched that place of his guilt. And if you're, you know, as Christians, he has touched the place, he's touched the place of our guilt. And he says, your sin is atoned for and some have this picture of an all-powerful God, but not loving. He's to be feared. He's to be avoided. If some view God as all-loving, but not powerful, there's kind of like the sentimentality and warm fuzzies, but we don't really take them seriously. And we're almost peers, right? Like, you know, he has his thoughts, and I have my thoughts, and, you know, we're kind of, we can kind of negotiate. With... 
not even close. He is not like us. He is not like us. He is not like us. But the God of the Bible is simultaneously the most powerful and the most loving being imaginable. He is terrifying. There's no other room for authority, but he is gentle. He emptied himself of all of his rights and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. For you and me, Isaiah experiences grace. He experiences love knowing that he deserved judgment. And then he's like, I'm in. I'm in for whatever, wherever. I'm in. Here I am. Send me. And that's what it means to encounter God. You come to him wanting him to be available to you, but you leave his presence wanting uh, you to be available to him. It's absolutely amazing. So how can we do this? How do we do that? How do we help people? One, again, we have to lead people to encounter. But I think we have to understand what, what the Bible means when it, when it, it encourages us to, to, to tell others about him. One, the Bible uses the word witness. So we are his witnesses. We are not his defense attorneys. A defense attorney, the, the role of a defense attorney is to win the case. Your job is not to win the case. You don't have to win the case. What's the, the role of a witness? A witness just tells their side of the story. That's, that's all he's ever asked. I was blind, but now I see. Well, are you saying that he's got, I, I, in the, reading the Bible, I don't know. He just, I, I was blind, now I see. That's all I know. I was, I was lame, now I walk. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was hopeless, now I have hope. This is what God's done for me. I tell my story. I am a witness. I'm not a defense attorney. And the power, the power to witness comes from him. I mean, that's what Jesus said, right? Acts 1.8. Uh, I want you to go in all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. Power will come upon you by my spirit, and then you will be my witnesses. This encounter with God leads to this witness to say, hey, this is my side of the story. Man, I was in, I went in the presence of God, I thought I was a goner. But he touched, he healed that place of my express sinfulness, and now I'm a different. Secondly, I just point out that, 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 um, that when Jesus calls us to be fishers of men, it's a team sport, not an individual sport. So often when we think about fishing, we think about an individual rod and reel. So I went, I took, I went fishing a week ago. It's today. No, Monday. Just a few days ago. And I mean, me and my dad, we're like researching like the right line test and the right lure and the right you know, places on the lake, and we have all these electronics, and all this money invested in not catching any fish, and it's really frustrating because, um, because that's what you have to do when you when you're you're thinking about an individual raw, individual reel. But when when Jesus talks about this, he talks about in the first century it was about fishing with a net, with took a group, and and with a rod and reel. Um, the key to that kind of fishing is technique and the kind you know getting the right lure getting the right conditions getting it right but the key to fishing with a net is the size and the strength and so what god wants to do with us so we teach people to, we we got to lead people to encounter 
we've got to lead people. And it's just your story. And we, we do something called bless, which I can talk about some other, you know, give you questions about later. We do something called bless, which I think is really helpful. It has handles just to help people tell their side of the story. And then, and then the third thing is that we, it's a team sport, which means that the, 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 the bigger the group, the, the tighter the relationships. The, that's the key to that kind of fishing. And what God wants to do with, with you and me is he wants to take our churches and he wants to cast them out into the, the neighborhoods of the northeast of this country. And he wants to catch whole schools of fish, all different kinds of fish, all different colors of fish. And it's going to be found in the size and the strength of our community, which takes the pressure off. It's, the power comes from him through encountering him. We're not responsible for winning the case, just telling our side of the story. And we do it with brothers and sisters. It doesn't require our Because that's what freaks people out. Oh, i got to get really good. i got to get my story down. i got to get my apologetics right if they ask me a question. No, no, no. Tell your side of the story. You don't need apologetics are fine. For for few of us, but for most of us, we just tell our side of the story. And make sure that story is up to date, which means you keep encountering him, keep letting him heal you, keep letting him work in your life. Don't let your faith get date stamped. And then you do it together. You draw it together. You, you, the strength of the community does that. So here's one. Could you stand with me? Coming out of, um, Ian kind of said this, coming out of COVID, I, I felt this in my own life, I felt this in the life of our, of our church, it's just that um, really did need to focus on the things that we know that we know that we know that we know God told us to do, and, and this is one of them. I mean, all the things that we do, I mean, they're good things. They really are really good things. But he is, I mean, he was so clear. You know, I gave you talents. What did you do with those talents? Like, what did you do, what did you do with your life? How did you use it as a witness? And this is what he told us to do. He told us to go be his witnesses. He told us to go and share this good news. Go herald it. Go from town to town to town to town and herald the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and some will believe, many won't. Some may even kill you for it. But it'll be fine. That's what he says. Because I'll be with you. That's where we need his power. Because it scares us. Some people don't like that message. They want something that sounds more intelligent or more contemporary but this is this is the this is the deal this is what we've been told to do so I just want to pray uh, for boldness I mean that's what the early disciples prayed for and they gathered and threats they were threatened they didn't pray hey God help us protect us and put a hedge around us or whatever Christians pray and they want things to be safe um, they said would you grant to us boldness? Yeah, that's right. Would you grant to us boldness? 
The early church prayed for boldness. Isaiah prays, will you send me? I just would, I would just encourage you to change the language of your prayer life. I had someone ask me once, if, if, if God was to answer with a yes every prayer that you prayed last year, who would be better off? Me. I'd be skinnier. Probably. I would. I would finally be able to dunk a basketball. Uh, a few sick people would be healed. And, um, yeah, I was like, okay, I get your point. But do I pray for boldness? Amen. Do I pray, here I am again, send me? Here I am again, send me? Not just send once. Just keep sending. You just want to send us in neighborhoods and towns and campuses and different parts of the world and he's a sending he's a missionary God he's a sending God and it's it's based in his passion for his kids it's passion for people and that's what I don't I want us to get that, that the heart of God getting the heart of God we need to be converted our hearts need to be converted our agendas need to be converted our purposes need to be God, we just pray. God, we just pray. God, we want to experience the real you, not our made-up versions of you, but the God of infinite power and grace and authority and love and compassion. Yes, Lord. You've extended great. Lord, we were, we were doomed. We have no business being in your presence. We have no business being anywhere near your presence. But because of your Son, yes. whose blood was spilt on our behalf, atoned, paid for our sin. And we can stand confidently, not because of us, but because of what you have done. And so I pray, God, would you fill us with boldness to lead our churches boldly into the mission that you have for us. I just pray, fill us with boldness. May we encounter you Lord Jesus yes, Lord. help us to lead our people into encountering you never missing an opportunity to pray for people to 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 to, to, um, to have them experience you Lord Jesus help us ex- I pray that people experience you as we preach Hallelujah. or as we worship as we pray Lord God, as we gather in community, as we break bread, as we love each other, God, we want to encounter you, Lord Jesus. We want to be changed. We don't want to be the same. Like like Psalm, remember, remember David in Psalm 103? He, he thinks about God, and then he thinks about his lame response to God. Come on, soul. Forget not any of his benefits. He's, he's forgiven you. He's healed you. He's done all these amazing things. Bless the Lord, yeah. oh my soul. God, I just I think about what you've done for me, and I just think about my response. God, I don't, I don't want to fall sluggish. I want my heart to be alive and, and pumping with you. Yes, and, or it's not something I manufacture. But God, it's, it's, you promised to... To, to come near. You promised your spirit. You've, you said if we ask for anything, Lord, Lord you'll, 
You'll give us even yourself. You'll give us your Holy Spirit. You stand at the door and you knock. If we open it, you'll come in. You want to to be with us. And I just pray, Lord, that we would experience that and, and lead our churches into that. give a, an appeal for those here saying here I am Lord send me and I realize there's just not going to be enough space up here because everyone is likely to come forward I hope that's our heart though after hearing this amen here I am Lord send me may we encounter him again and again and again and, and let's be praying for God's help to lead our people into that I do feel the Lord just wants to just give courage to some people here in difficult situations. I was just encouraged to hear Al's testimony uh, yesterday and he was saying how you know, I think Sam had brought a word you know, to him uh, about boldness and how even that week you'd had to stand before the city council and 